Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. We come into God's presence singing His praises, uh, extolling His mercies especially. And on this uh, Sunday as we look in the theme of uh, worldly uh, passions and abstaining from those, uh, it's something to keep in mind. The mercies of God endure forever. And so as we come to confess our sins, we remember that. Uh, the call to confession is from 2 Samuel chapter 12, <clears throat> after David sins with Bathsheba. Here's the result. Hear God's word. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus far the reading of God's word. As we consider our own sin, we need to remember two things. One, in here, uh, I uh, was reminded uh, anew that David was covering up his own sin uh, with anger at someone else. Uh, And we need to remember that before we are willing to repent, what we often do is we focus on anything else but our fault and often blame others. Two, David sinned greatly and tried to get away with it for a while, but in the end he confessed it. And this is true of all of God's people. Uh, The difference between professing believers in the church and those outside the church is not that they sin and we don't. The difference is threefold. The difference is that we accept God's moral standard as binding on us instead of redefining that standard to fit us. That's one. Two, we confess when we fall short of that standard instead of hiding or arguing about it. And number three, we look to Jesus for mercy instead of trying to fix it some other way. Uh, With that in mind, let's uh, confess our sins. Uh, Please kneel if you're able, and I'll pray our prayer of confession this morning. sick last week and 90% back and better, so it's good to be among God's people. And we've been going through 1 Peter. My custom is always to go through a text, through a book, or at least a a large section of a book. It's called in the Latin Lectio Continua, 
uh, you, you want to read continually through the text or serially through the text because you want to uh, gather in the context. You, you want to understand the whole letter of First Peter, not just pick out a few verses. Uh, you want to be considering uh, a, a great deal of Scripture together uh, so that you can uh, get the big picture. And one thing that results in is pastors having to preach on difficult topics, which they might not otherwise want to address. And that's going to happen the next two weeks. This week, we have the idea of the passions of the flesh. And next week, we have the, the whole realm of submitting to civil authority. So this week and next will be those kind of sermons that I'd rather not preach, honestly. But it's God's word, and we're called to preach the whole counsel of God. And so that's what we're up to. So the theme today is denying sinful passions uh, will preserve your soul. And it, points out, and it points unbelievers to God. That's the basic idea that Peter gives here in these verses. There's really just two points. One is abstain from lusts. And the second one is have honorable conduct in the world. Uh, and we'll look at those two things uh, one after the other. So abstain from uh, passions of the flesh is the way the English Standard Version puts it. So let's just start with the, the straight-up command first. Two things on this. Uh, first, today we right away think of sexual sin, and that is certainly included. I haven't addressed this hardly at all in my time here yet, which honestly is rather negligent given how deep a problem it is in our culture today. Sexual temptation is pervasive in our time. It's a primary reason, I'm convinced, that men are in the sorry state that they are in, in the church. Sex sells. It's on billboards and TV for all to see. Pornography is easy to access on the internet. It's a quick feel fix, or it's an escape from the deeper challenges of life. Don't go that way. The scripture, I'll just give you three uh, scriptures that uh, address this directly, and, I'll, and it gets more and more uh, intense and acute. The first one, Romans 12, we'll look at in our, in our commission at the end of the service. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Scripture addresses this directly. Your, your body is involved in how you uh, are faithful to God or not. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Know how to control your own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And, and the word, it's, it's quite explicit. You know how to control your own body, your own vessel, is, is the way uh, Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 4. And of course, uh, probably the most intense of all is Matthew 5, which we read. If, if you even look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery. And in a very... Uh, practical, real-world way, Jesus goes on to say, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And, and there's, there's a connection there. Now, this is not a denial of physical pleasure per se, right? God made us with bodily desires. Sex is a gift of God that we corrupt in our sinfulness. It's fine to eat and to enjoy food. That's another physical desire. The problem is, in our sin, we misuse and abuse physical things in every way possible. So we want to not... Uh, Peter here isn't saying, even as he talks about being sojourners and exiles in the world, he's not saying to, to deny the world and all of its pleasures. 
He's saying, don't give in to the sinful desires in, in that way, passions of the flesh. So, uh, kids, one good example here for you might be when mom bakes a treat and pulls it out of the oven, right? And it's warm and it's gooey and it's cooling on the counter. And man, you want that right now. But she says, no, you have to wait until dinner, right? You need to abstain from a passion of the flesh. That's one way to apply this. It's not just a sexual thing. There's all kinds of ways. It's not even just a physical thing involved. That's the second point here. The flesh in the New Testament usually means our sinful nature, not just physical things. Right? Oddly enough, when you look at the list in Galatians 5, you have things like pride, enmity, divisions, jealousy, Envy. Those are sins of the flesh. <laughs> right? We don't think of those as sins of the flesh because they're not physical. They're not, they're not those sensational problems. But they are. They are. The, the, pride is a, is a, a sensory thing. You, you feel it. There's this rush in your thoughts and in your mind of thinking how great you are in some way. There are people who get a kick out of disrupting a church, dividing it, gaining a following for themselves against the leadership. That's a sin of the flesh. Or you're overly concerned with how people perceive you. You can't stand it if someone might be thinking ill of you. That's a passion of the flesh that we have to abstain from. That's what Peter's talking about. And the emphasis here is on abstaining. Say no to those wrong things. Uh, think of the example of Joseph when he's in Egypt uh, in Potiphar's house. Uh, that's what Joseph does as Potiphar's wife uh, comes on to him. The whole emphasis there for Joseph is, no, I can't do this. <laughs> that's what Peter's getting at here. It's a, it's a negative thing. It's like the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Uh, and we often... Um, don't emphasize that enough these days because we, we do want to talk about what we ought to do instead. I'll be there in 10 seconds. But the emphasis here is abstain. Don't give in to these desires. And we need to remember that. There, there's a time to, to just say no and walk or run away like Joseph does. But that is only half the story. We also need to say yes to the right things. If you want to turn with me to Ephesians 4, uh, that's one part in the New Testament where we see this pattern. Uh, Ephesians 4.22, it's what is sometimes called the put-off, put-on dynamic. Uh, we, we need to say no to these things and say yes to these. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 22, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Uh, note the word deceitful there, by the way, but don't have time to get into it right now. But uh, our sinful desires are deceitful desires. They're deceiving us. Anyway, on to verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we've got to say no to those things. But as we do so, we're putting on a different way of living. We're putting on Christ himself, really. Uh, George Grant loves to talk about this, and I love to think about it. It's, it's wonderful. He talks about Thomas Chalmers all the time, who wrote this wonderful little essay, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. 
the expulsive power. In other words, when, when you have love for Christ, that expels your desire for all these wrong things. And, and that's, that's the gas in the engine that should make our spiritual lives go, is our love for Christ. So, yes, we want to emphasize saying no to worldly passions and lusts. But the way we're going to do that is by loving Jesus more and making sure that our loves are ordered correctly. So, abstain from lusts. That's the first point here. Now, why? Peter is, is always in his subordinate clauses in the grammar here. He's always giving us the why. And one reason is the very first word of our text. It's a word that I love and I love to use. Beloved. Beloved. Why should we abstain from lusts? Because we are beloved. It's a church word, and, and I want to defend church words sometimes, right? You go to a wedding, beloved, we are gathered here today, right? It's, okay, it's the church word stuff. No, that's important. Beloved, we are gathered as Christ's beloved here. That, that's important, and that, that reshapes how we act. Remember, Peter's always defining who we are. He's done that for most of the first chapter and a half here in this letter. He's telling us who we are. And even here, as he turns to tell us to say no to passions of the flesh, he begins with who you are. You are beloved. That's why you shouldn't give in to passions of the flesh. There's, there's no other noun that gets this idea across that I know of. We aren't just friends, right? Peter could say friends. No, we are loved. We are loved by God. And that takes six words to say. <laughs> we are loved. Loved by... I could just call you beloved. And that gets the idea across. So yes, it's a church word. It's kind of jargony church word. But there's a lot of freight in those church words if we stop to think about it. So little defensive church words there. But, but we want to abstain from passions of the flesh because we're beloved. Also because we're sojourners in the world. That's the next thing he says. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And that here again, Peter's brought this idea up before several times already, and we're only in the beginning of chapter 2. The Christian is a stranger in the world in one sense. We, we don't accept, we don't live by the, way, the world's ways and standards. Right? We're not to get so tied down and entangled with this world that we lose our way to the new heavens and the new earth, right? Uh, now and then I've been known to listen to Dave Ramsey. He has a good way to put this. He says, it's fine to have money and stuff. Just don't let your money have you, right? That, that's a good way to, to put it. Uh, it it's, Peter here isn't saying we need to re, you know, go to a monastery and give up all of our worldly possessions. That's not the point. The point is uh, to not uh, live as if this is all there is. To realize that we're citizens of heaven and that there's more coming. There, there's another chapter of, of, of the story coming and this isn't uh, the only thing that we're living for. So uh, these passions of flesh, they war against the soul. That's the third reason. We, we want to um, abstain because we're beloved. We want to abstain because uh, we're sojourners and exiles here. And third, we want to abstain because these passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. And this, this gives you the big picture, right? We're, we're in a spiritual war. 
And instead of just kind of wax eloquent on that theologically, uh, I'll just apply this practically to each of you. What, what things war against your soul? It's a little unique for everybody. Uh, for some it's pride, for some it's pornography, for uh, others it's envy. Uh, what are those besetting sins that are warring against your soul individually? And, and when we think of those things, we need to remember that's a battle. That's the enemy coming at me with a sword and a shield. And if I don't fight that, I'm going to be cut down. This is, this is a literal war that we are in. Parents should know each child's unique struggles and be able to give custom-tailored help. Know, know your children's unique battles. It can be good, too, for, for pastors to know what battles you are fighting in your soul. Some of you shared some of those things with me. I struggle with pride. I struggle with anger. Whatever it is. It's good to discuss the battle, to do a post-mortem after a battle with others so that you can fight better the next day. These things war against your soul. So that's the first point. We need to abstain from these passions of the flesh for those three reasons. We're beloved. Uh, we uh, are exiles, sojourners here. Uh, and there, there's a spiritual battle going on here. Well, uh, Peter in verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So honorable conduct is the main idea here. Uh, and some try to say that this, the, the word honorable here has overtones of uh, attractiveness, winsomeness. And that may be the case, but you can make too much out of that. right? The point here isn't to say, well, if we're just winsome, then the world won't slander us. And that's not going to happen. And the church is waking up to that fact these days. Uh, I'll talk more about that in a moment. But we have to keep our conduct honorable. And part of that's related to abstaining from passions of the flesh. But keep your conduct honorable among, gent among the Gentiles. That phrase really struck me this week. Huh. Peter is writing to Jews and Gentiles. And he says, keep your conduct honorable among those Gentiles, those other people who are Gentiles. Now, again, many of the people, the believers he was writing to, were Gentiles. So you have this hint here that the church is, is the new Israel. Even if, you're a, even if you're not ethnically Jewish, there's a sense in which you've become the part of the people of God. You're not a Gentile anymore. That's very important. Gentile Christians aren't Gentiles anymore, in that sense of speaking. And this happened in the New Testament, too. It's not like this is a new thing in the New Testament. Think of Uriah the Hittite, right? We've considered David and Bathsheba today. Uriah, the one that David sinned against the worst, was a captain in Israel's army. He's the Hittite. He's a Gentile who has come to believe in God's people, believe in God, to, to be incorporated in his people. And then David goes and does that to him. Think of that. Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles so that they don't speak against you as evildoers. Anyway, it, it, it affirms the point of the antithesis, which I've mentioned before. There are outsiders. There are those who are not part of us. Most of us have that strong sense every time we go to the grocery store or go to work. 
uh, we see all around us, people who aren't, uh, we're, we're strangers and sojourners around here. <laughs> There's a difference, a different way of thinking. So we have to keep our conduct honorable. And, and David is the, the, the poster boy for this uh, verse because he fails so badly in this one instance, right? Every Christian is an ad for Christianity. We are an advertisement. Don't do things to make the world speak ill of God or of Jesus or of his church. Every instance of sexual abuse by clergy does this. Every time a pastor abuses authority and domineers, he does this. He makes the church speak ill of the world. He's giving in to passions of the flesh. Every time there's a disagreement in a church and instead of making peace, there's a split, we cause the world to blaspheme God. And David did this. It's, it's later in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan, in, in his uh, speaking to David, after he repents, David, uh, Nathan says to David, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. That's a sobering thought. And that's what happens when we don't abstain from the passions of the flesh. Have your conduct be honorable. So, what I have next in my notes, why? And Peter goes into why, but we've already given the main answer, right? So that they don't cause us to blaspheme. To oppose accusation, right? So when they speak against you as evildoers, Peter says there. So we want to minimize the opportunity for accusation. That's what we want to do. And back when Peter was writing, this, this was all over the place. The, the, the church was beginning to be slandered and accused and uh, believed to be doing all kinds of crazy things that they weren't doing. Uh, one, I don't know if you've heard of this, known of this, uh, in the Roman Empire, they believed that the church, those Christians, that they practiced cannibalism because they talked about eating the, the body and the blood of Jesus. Wow. And don't you just want to go to the New York Times and the Washington Post and write an op-ed and say, that's, that's crazy, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not what you think we are. It happened all the time. They believed they were atheists, that Christians were atheists because they rejected the Roman gods. They believed that early Christians were anti-family because they talked about having a new family, being brothers and sisters in, in Jesus. What are you, against your family? They, they were, they were, Christians were believed to be uh, against traditional Roman values. <laughs> it, it's quite astounding. All kinds of accusations. They're going to speak against you as evildoers. There's a lot more. Treason against Caesar and on and on. And there's half-truth in some of these, right? We won't offer incense and call Caesar Lord. That's, that's true. And, and it happens today as well. And you, you see it in the news these days today. What was it I just saw a day or two ago? I didn't have this in my notes. Joy Reid was talking about evangelical Christians, how they, um, they, how, how we uh, just try to obey God ourselves and there's not really much in, in our teaching, in our lives about loving other people. <laughs> That's what she said on national news, this, this um, very popular TV show saying that Christians don't, don't really care about other people. They're just trying to, um, trying to um, obey God themselves. It's amazing, that kind of accusation, that kind of slander. 
And you know the, the typical ones. We're, we're considered hateful. We believe God condemns homosexuality as a sin, for example. So we must hate anyone who disagrees. You see how pernicious that is? Because we are actually tempted to hate them. Right? And we're called to love them. But we do say that that, that behavior is a sin. They call us racist these days, right? We discriminate against LGBTQ people. Just like in the Jim Crow South, they did that against African Americans. You see the, the category error, right? You're talking about a, a behavior or a race. There's completely different things. But, but it doesn't matter. People aren't thinking clearly. They aren't thinking hardly at all. And, and they just speak against us as evildoers. So that's going to happen. And as I said earlier, the, there are, the church is waking up to the fact that you can't be uh, nice enough to not have this happen to you. Living honorably is not a guarantee against being slandered. That's not what Peter's saying here. He's just saying, minimize it as much as you can. Don't give them a reason. You know, as much as it depends on you, uh, don't cause them to blaspheme. Uh, a couple of months ago, Max Lucado was uh, slandered and canceled in a way. Max Lucado is one of the nicest of the nice guys in the evangelical constellation of teachers. You won't find a nicer speaker. He's just kind, gentle, compassionate, nice guy. And he still got ripped to shreds for a sermon from about 15 years ago. It's not a guarantee uh, that uh, if, if we're nice enough, they won't be mean to us. That's not the world we're living in. But we need to live honorably anyway. We ought to practice good hygiene, but that isn't a divine promise that we won't get sick. We ought to live honorably, but that doesn't mean people aren't going to give us a hard time. Well, one other thought on this, kind of an aside. Um, people aren't always thinking of Christians as evildoers. Uh, that's not always going on. Uh, Peter isn't saying that's always going on, but, it, but he says when they speak against you, they're going to from time to time. But... If we have that kind of mentality all the time, it's going to get us in trouble. They aren't always accusing or slandering us. Uh, I had this happen to me uh, back when the, the whole drag queen uh, bingo flap was going on here in town. Uh, I had put some scripture out there, done a little bit of uh, Facebook debating, probably not wise to do, but I gave it a try. Uh, a day or two later, uh, there was a prominent uh, Howell City member who, who uh, my family knows and personally. He messaged me pr privately, and he wanted to know my interpretation of the phrase in the second commandment that says, God punishes the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. Now, I, I knew this person. He, he was interacting a bit in the debate uh, over transgender and homosexual issues. I knew this person to be kind of a post-Christian or liberal Christian type of person. And I assumed that they were asking me a gotcha question from the public debates that were going on. But it turned out they had a close family member with a terminal disease. And he was asking me an honest question, wondering if God was punishing him. Was it because of something my parents did that I've got cancer? It was an honest question cry out for help kind of question. And I had to switch gears really fast because <laughs> I was in defense mode. I thought he was asking me a gotcha question. I had to backpedal some of my defensive comments and sympathize and recast my comments in a more gracious way. Uh, 
It worked out. It, we actually found common ground and it was cordial. But it doesn't always work out so well when we have that martyr complex. When we're on the defensive against a world that only ever persecutes us. No, not everything is a fight. And that wasn't. And it was a real lesson for me. There is a spiritual battle out there. We need to be ready to fight. But sometimes people are reaching out for help and they're hurting. And we need to give them compassion and truth. So uh, that's an aside and I even lost the thread there. Uh, have our conduct honorable. Oppose accusation. Yes, we're going to get accused. But, but sometimes uh, there's honest engagement going on out there. Uh, in the end, we want them to glorify God. In the day of visitation. Interesting phrase. That just means that God's going to visit you. Anytime God shows up to judge or shows mercy, that's called a visitation. Right? The Passover is a really good example. It, the scripture talks that way, that God visited Israel in Egypt. What a, I love how scripture's so understated. You know, you've got ten plagues and the Red Sea divided and Pharaoh thrown into the sea. And the way the Bible ends up describing it later is, yeah, God visited Israel there. It's, it's, I, I delight in that understatement. Yeah, God visited them, all right. That, that was a help. Yep. Like he just came over to, for coffee on a Sunday evening. Don't think so. He visited his people. At, and God visited his people at the cross. And at the empty tomb, God came and helped us. What an understatement. But God helps. God visits. And he's going to visit again at the second coming. And that's the final motivation that Peter gives here for us to abstain from passions of the flesh, to have honorable conduct. We want people to glorify God on the last day. So live honorably. Jesus says it in Matthew 5, too, right? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus glorified God by denying himself. Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. Included in that was all the passions of the flesh he wanted. But it meant worshiping someone other than God. Don't go that way. Last point to close is the fact that we have gone that way. We have, every one of us, in some way, has given in to the passions of the flesh. We have failed. And we need to remember that there is mercy. There is mercy. There is no unforgivable sin here. The unforgivable sin that Jesus talks about is stubbornly rejecting Jesus as Lord, as God's Messiah. And the Spirit tells us that that's who He is. And, and we sin against the Spirit and resist that. That's what Jesus calls the unforgivable sin. But in our daily practical uh, community living, there are greater and lesser sins, right? That kids play after church and there's a little bit too much rambunctiousness. There, there's some sin going on there, but we can deal with that. We can handle that. But when someone gives in to the passions of the flesh in a big way, and it's public, we can have a hard time having mercy and being gracious with that. And we need to be merciful and gracious with that kind of thing. There's no unforgivable sin 
in that way. We have all failed, and we all need God's mercy and his grace. And it's available to us because of Christ's death on the cross, because of the empty tomb. Jesus is, uh, is just, as we sang in Psalm 101, we're going to sing of love and justice. And we have mercy in a compassionate, gracious God. We need to remember that when we just pull two verses out like I did this, this uh, Sunday. And the two verses have just two imperatives. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Be honorable. That's true. I don't want to blunt the force of that at all. But it's given within the context of Scripture that is gospel. That we've failed. We, we haven't kept that word. And yet God is merciful. And he is gracious. And he receives us to himself after we have failed him. So, people of God, deny sinful passions. That will preserve your soul. It will point unbelievers to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us a renewed resolution to put off the ways of the sinful man, to put on Christ and all of his virtues. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown us a Christ who is a truth speaker, even when it's difficult, and one who does not send away the woman caught in adultery who does not condemn her, who tells her not to sin anymore. Lord, we thank you for this marvelous mix of truth and justice that you have brought to us, truth and mercy. And we ask, Lord, that we would live with one another in this way. Help us to act this out, to not be afraid to speak truth when it needs to be spoken, and to be willing to extend mercy when it is needed. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us this word, for strengthening us by it, for giving us your Holy Spirit to drive it into our hearts. Change us, Lord, by this word. We pray in Christ's name. And we pray in the name of Jesus, the ever-living word, and we sing as he taught us to pray. exhortation is from Psalm 81, verse 10. This one half verse. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God speaks that to his people. And there is a desire in our souls for God. A God-shaped hole that we need to fill. If we don't fill it with God, we will find an idol to try to fit. Worldly success, sex, candy, whatever it is. God says in the Psalms, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He made us. He knows what we need. What if we let him give us what he knows is good for us? And that's what we have laid out here on the table, the bread and the wine, tokens of Christ himself, tokens of a covenant that God has made with us, ratified and made effective at the cross. We are in Christ we are fed in our souls by Christ himself as we are united with him in spirit and soul. And so come and welcome to the Lord's table. We invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized and who are under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. 
As we eat the bread and drink the wine together, we acknowledge that we are sinners without hope except in God's sovereign mercy, that we are trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.